and welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of la- uh, no, a lot, yeah, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of laughs. <laughs> Uh, we can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our websites, uh, ladieswholondon.com. And my website, alexlacey.com, and Emily's website that still doesn't exist. Guys, it's coming. Give me seven more days. I, honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm, very, I'm very nearly there. The logo is there. The branding is there. I just need to publish. Just need to publish. It's nearly there. It's nearly there. It's nearly there. And it's, it's all art-related, so um, I'm very excited. I'm going to get my pens back out. I actually did a bit of drawing for the first time in ages. I'm doing a drawing for someone. Um, so yeah, started doodling again, which is lovely. Amazing. Yeah. How's that going? Yeah, good. Yeah, I feel I, I feel my absolute best when I complete a picture. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I think it's just such a good thing to completely turn the whole brain off. I mean, obviously the the, the creative <laughs> bit still runs. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, and I've just I've just missed it. And I think are you, obviously, are you painting for yourself or are you doing commissions? What's the? Um, so this is a commission that I'm doing at the moment. Um, so yeah, and when the 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 new the newborn comes along obviously it's going to be quite hard so I'm trying to get all my kind of drawing drawing fix uh, yeah. on as much as possible for April um, but yeah how are you yeah I'm well I'm uh, I've moved to Essex um, for a couple yeah. of months while my house my house is finally underway it is finally getting its uh, itself sorted um Good. goodness uh, but i'm here and um you know in the wilds of essex um in my little in my little annex um yeah there's not really many people around it's quite different to being in busy london where i can pop out all the time but it's really nice to be able to focus and get through everything and all the emails that i owe people which um apologies if you guys have all emailed and uh, haven't had a response i'm getting through them gradually <laughs> and you're in a, in a in an area that's on my passport harlow Oh really? Hello. Hello. Because <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> this yes. is where you're from originally, is it? That's right. Yeah, that's where I was born. That's where you're born. Um, and then lived in Essex, Waltham Abbey, kind of for quite some time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I texted to... you earlier, didn't I, saying, "Have you been to the Sugar Hut yet?" And you were like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> <laughs> and where is that? Where is the Sugar Hut? I don't know, but it's in The Only Way is Essex. Like They oh, talk okay. about the Sugar Hut all the time, don't they? I don't know. I don't watch it. <laughs> I've never seen it, but there's enough kind of references. Like Gemma Collins, whenever, whenever she's like on RuPaul or something, she talks about the Sugar Hut. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I have not been to the Sugar Hut. I have not danced around my uh, my white stilettos. Um, oh, Alice. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm sure I will. Give me a couple <gasps> of weeks. <laughs> I do actually have a cap that in neon pink, it says, I'm an Essex girl. I can give you that if you want. Yeah, brilliant. I'll have that. That's fab. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Great. I'll take all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, last week, uh, you hit us with a bit of news, didn't you, Em? I did, yes. Um, I'm up the duff, as I say. <laughs> Not guilty. Time. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, I, I've decided to, I'm so sad to do it, but I've decided to leave the pod because I just think that I'm going to have such limited time as from April and I think it's probably best to cut now than to to cause Alex drama when we're already kind of going into a busy period of work so which is a shame but we've had lots of emails in from people um kind of saying their goodbyes and their thank yous a lovely one from Katie Jacks which is a really lovely long email um she said I'm usually a silent listener to your podcast but after the latest news that Emily will be stepping away I had to reach out and just say thank you so much for everything you've both given the pod in its current form oh. absolutely loved it and it's become one of the only podcasts I regularly look forward to and without fail is a staple of my weekly commute thanks so much Katie and so yeah she's, uh, she says she's gonna miss you a lot but she is gonna hang around um and she wishes you lots of good luck but go and read the email it's really long and really lovely oh that's um, lovely we've also had a, an email um from david who runs the cabby blog who we've been meaning to do a piece with for a while again time's just got in the way and he says sorry to hear that you're taking a break um and has given a few um suggestions he says we've got a great title and a large following so we could possibly just go on a women 
like the ladies of London type thing rather than ladies who London. Yeah. Um, who else have we had? Um, we've had, I'm trying to find this. Oh, lovely email from Amber. Um, uh, who suggested possibly Fiona coming as a co-host, which is something that has crossed my mind. I just don't know if Fiona's going to have the available time, but she, I suspect Fiona's going to pop up as a as a regular guest host. What I'm kind of thinking at the minute is that I continue on my own and, and have guests on and do the old one on my own, but then have guests on to come and chat about stuff. Maybe Emily will come back once in a while if she, if she deems if you're happy worthy. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, you're dead to me now. Um, so that's what I'm kind of thinking. I'm still kind of toying over whether we keep the name. Some people have suggested we go to Lady Who Londons. People love um, the name. A lot yeah. of people saying you should change it to Lady Who Londons. Yeah, maybe, maybe. We'll have a think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm still I'm still thinking about exactly what it's going to be, but I think I'm sort of heading to the route of hosting it on my own, but having guests come in on a regular basis to to come and, and co-host bits and pieces or um, be a sort of you know uh, a, like second in command on weeks that I'm just going to chat and things like that. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But thank you all so much for your for your lovely emails. And um, we've got two more weeks with Emily. So next week she'll present, and then the week after it'll be me again, and that'll be her last one. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to cut her out of everything and uh, <laughs> take her face off everything. I'm joking. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what we've got coming up. Yes. Um, I had quite a funny uh, message from Jolly Good, who's done us a few posters and T-shirts. Oh, yes. I still haven't given you your you T-shirt. You still haven't given so me my T-shirt. <laughs> I wear it all the time. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, his main thing was just, please don't get in the boxing ring and get a blow to the head. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, fighting against the like, no, yeah, fury you just you going to do some boxing. I'm like, Emily, <laughs> if you haven't got time for the podcast, you're not doing boxing. Sorry, no. Marvin. <laughs> exactly i've got to go into a hole absolutely <laughs> nothing else um yeah so yeah thank you so much for reaching out everybody it's been lovely yeah really nice. thank you so much but let's uh let's head on with this week because we have um, a podcast uh to get through today we do. um and this is now this is a bit of a departure for us in that it's a royal and we don't really do royals and i think the only kind of royal stuff we've done is when we did kind of coronations that went wrong Mm-hmm. Was it coronations that went wrong? Yes, it was, wasn't it? Around the Jubilee, we did that. Yes. Um, and I don't know that we've ever really talked about any royals as a topic, apart from in the, the Halloween episode, I talked about the Duke of Cumberland and the ghost um, in St. James's yeah, Palace. But I, talk, I think this might about be... about the Duchess, I think. You talked Maybe. about a particular... Maybe. But kind of in terms of royalty, it's quite rare. Mm-hmm. And there's not... I mean, there is some flipping amazing stories in mm. the kind of bed hopping um you know mm. backstabbing all this sort of stuff in in the royal family i mean probably nothing that, uh, that that's going to outdo the the current book that's out by uh, oh, by yes. prince harry right now <laughs> scandal scandal <Spare. laughs> uh, um but i have to say the georgians do give the windsors a bit of a run for the money on family drama Mm. And I wanted to talk about Queen Caroline, uh, wife of George II, Caroline of Ansbach, who is such a fascinating lady. She's popped up in a couple of different podcasts. I know she popped up when we were talking about Handel. She's popped up in a variety of places. And I just think that she's so fascinating for a variety of reasons. So we're going to talk about her today. And we we are going to dip into a little bit of that Georgian family drama. And if anyone's not particularly up on the Georgians, let me tell you, it's a wild ride. It is, it is. an amazing kind of soap opera of hatred and backstabbing. And, oh, it's it's, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Um, and Caroline's kind of on the, on the periphery. Well, periphery slash sort of in the middle of a lot of this. So we're going to get into that. But we're going to have to go back to the start. Um, it is 1683, if you cast your mind back, uh, which is the year that uh, Carol, future Queen Caroline was born. Now, th- she's going to go on to be a very sexy, very shrewd and savvy lady with a little bit of scheming in there as well. She's got, you know, she's got ambitions and she's got ways and means of getting what she wants. But she starts out in a pretty unexciting way. A pretty, no- I'm going to say a pretty normal aristocrat <laughs> <laughs> which of course we know aristocrats anything but normal to what we're 
used to it, but it's nothing hugely important. You would expect for these big aristocrats that whenever a child is born to them, there's a massive song and dance, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. You kind of think, you know, oh, get the trumpets out and it's all very important, but there's not any song and dance about her birth at all. Um, she is the fourth child uh, to her father and she's the second daughter. So in the 1600s, nobody really wants girls and a second daughter is next to useless. So they're really not that bothered. <laughs> no fanfare, whatevs. No, they're just like, oh, whatever, another one. Okay, fine. Um, so she's born in, in a town called Ansbach, in, which is in modern day Bavaria. And her father is the Margrave of Ansbach. Now, this is, um, I had to look this one up. I didn't know this. A medieval title for a kind of military commander. And, of co- okay, 1600s isn't really medieval, but it's a hereditary Prussian German title, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's been handed down and he's the Margrave. And, and um, yeah, so she's she's his daughter. And so there's no hoopla at all. Um, she's born and they're like, oh, cool. Kid number four, daughter, whatever. Blech. And her childhood doesn't really get much better than that. It's not that she is kind of ignored and abused. It's that her parents sort of disappear. Her dad dies when she's three and her mum dies when she's 13. So at 13 um, years of age, she is an orphan. And she's kind of stuck where she is. She's got no escape plan. Her, you know, being the, the fourth kid, not particularly, uh, you know, bothered about. She didn't really inherit any money from her dad. She's got nowhere to live. She's... She's an aristocrat by birth, but really she hasn't really got anything, you know, to her name. And she knows that she's not really going to get out of there. There's no there's no escape plan at all. What she does have, however, is beauty and religion. She is staunchly Protestant, and this is going to come back in a little bit. Um, and she's also this type of beauty that they really um, revered in the 1600s, 1700s. She is, I guess, what you'd kind of term, even though she's not English, an English rose. So pale, rosy-cheeked, very, very contemporary for that time, ideals of beauty. So it's you know, she's poster child. perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to get her far, let's face it, in the Georgian, um, or kind of like pre-Georgian court. Um, and she appears also to have been very, very charismatic and very sexy. So she had some kind of sexual charisma that it seemed that anyone who met her just kind of melted at her feet and just, you know, the men loved her and... When she was a little bit older, she was renowned for her epic, uh, well, I'm going to say epic knockers, her bust, her boobs. She had a rack. Just say it. She had a great rack. <laughs> <laughs> and she was kind of famous for it as well. Really? Um, was yeah. she? I bet Punch Magazine loved her. Oh, absolutely. And her husband later um, is is fond of a larger a larger bust. So, um, yeah, she does, she does very well there. So mm. after her mother dies, she's got one quite well-known relative of slightly distant relative, a guy called uh, Frederick III of Brandenburg. So already, you know, he's, he's you know, he's in the right places and his wife, Sophia Charlotte. And they basically say, look, come to Berlin. We'll look after you. You've got nowhere to live. You've got no one to look after you. Come over here. And they sort of take her under their wing. And it is really thanks to Sophia that Caroline is the way that she is. Um, Sophia, her, Sophia's husband, uh, Ferdinand, uh, Ferdinand, Fran- Frederick, sorry, going mad. Um, Frederick was really, he was kind of into, you know, military stuff and war stuff and let Sophia kind of do what she wanted. And she was really into cultural and intellectual learning. And up until this point, Caroline hadn't really had any formal education. She was the sort of slightly lesser wanted child. She was also a girl, so they didn't really educate them the way that, you know, they would now. She goes to live with Sophia and Sophia's like, well, listen, I'm into all this and I read and I speak this and I do that. And Caroline's like, this is amazing. And she she follows her. So she kind of emulates her. And this later is going to mean that she is in a great position to, well, just be who she's going to be. Mm. So in the 1600s, as a woman, what's your best way out of a bad situation? In the 1600s? Well, you've got to show a bit of fire, haven't you? <laughs> and by show a bit of fire, do you mean get married? <laughs> is that what you meant? That's what I meant. <laughs> okay, yes, then yes. For an aristocrat, yes. <laughs> Start flashing your legs. Well, I'm just thinking about Kitty Fisher. You know, what does she do? She fell off the horse without any knickers on and made sure the paps were there. Yes, Kitty Fisher's come from the bottom up. Caroline's going from the Ooh. top down. So. Top down, right, different, okay. So she might start thing. off with a toe. But um, yeah, yeah you know, she's going to get married, dear. She's going to go and get married. So her yes. only way out is, is marriage. And... 
Frederick and Sophia are, of course, you know, aristocrats, they're in society. And up steps this guy called Archduke Charles, who uh, basically comes in and goes, oh, 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 a lovely bit of totty. And, uh, <laughs> and comes up to her and goes like, hey, what do you reckon? You want to hitch your wagon to me? And she says no. <gasps> does she now? She does. Oh, okay. The reason being that the condition is that if, if she marries him, she has to change to being Catholic. She's like, <laughs> that's not happening. I am Protestant through and through. And he is like, he's very eligible. He's also very rich and titled and is kind of the next best thing to a king. And when she says no to him, this, you know, the 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 Twitterverse that, you know, starts going. Mm, so mm. everyone's like, oh, my God, oh. they start talking about Caroline, which, of course, then makes her incredibly eligible as well. So someone else has plans for her. Uh, now, this someone else is another woman, a lady called Electress Sophia of Hanover. Oh. Now, do you know Electra Sophia of Hanover? No, she sounds like a, a gladiator. She does, doesn't she? <laughs> Electra's yeah, ready. You know, going up against lightning and jet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently Gladiators is coming back. Did you hear that? Really? Not this, with the yeah. guy that does three, two, one. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I don't, Travelator. Hello. Uh, I know. Bring back the Travelator. Um... <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Um, so the Electress Sophia of Hanover, some people know her name because she is the reason that we switch from the royal family that we had at the time over to the Georgians, to the Hanoverians, because she's in the line of succession. Now, what has happened is basically, now this is where it gets very complex. And if you are if you know your kings and queens, if you used to watch Monarch Mondays with us on uh, on Instagram during lockdown, you'll have a bit of an idea about this. But basically, prior to George I coming in, we have Queen Anne. Queen Anne and her sister, Queen Mary, have taken over from James II, their father, who was basically a Catholic sympathiser, right? So Mary's come in, then Anne has come in. And when they look down the line of who is going to take over after Anne, they realise that everyone down that line is either too old, too mad, or too Catholic to take over. Mm -hmm. So they have to go back up the line, trace it across, and find another eligible spur that they can start basically going, oh, you're related enough. And they jump, well, reports vary somewhere in the region of 49 to 52 people in order to get down to the next person along which is Electress Sophia of Hanover. So they've basically gone up across and gone, oh, you'll do. And in 1701, there's an act that's passed called the Act of Succession, and she is named as the heiress to the British throne. So she's like, okay, I've got this on the horizon. I've, I'm going to be queen of England, and then my kids are going to be kings, et cetera, et cetera. So she starts thinking, oh, I need to make them good matches. And she's got her eye on Caroline. And she says, I think you'd be a good match for my grandson. George, George Augustus. Now, George Augustus is later going to be George II. And she talks about this with her son and her grandson. And they're like, yeah, cool, you know. She seems pretty sexy, nice boobs, you know, all of that. And uh, <laughs> and George Augustus decides he's going to go and meet her and give her a little bit of the uh, the old, you know, come on, last, what do you reckon? But he's going to go yeah, and do it in disguise. Channels. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and they meet. Pathetic nose or yeah, just right, mask? Like like um yeah sort of uh, what's what's the what's the guy with the big nose pinocchio in the film not pinocchio Can't um oh it's, it's escaping me i'm it's loving the gestures, you played him in the film. anyway whatever someone will like tell a banana us. big banana anyway whatever um yeah i like the idea that he's doing oh, that oh mrs doubtfire no oh <laughs> oh i love you so much um no uh, anyway so he goes and he, he sort of seduces her in disguise and it's basically lust at first sight. The pair of them are like, yes, baby, engine's on. And George later writes to her, he says, I found that all I had heard about your charms did not nearly equal what I saw. So he walks in and he's like, hubba, hubba, hubba. I yes, bet he baby. is. I bet he doesn't even have to start talking to her before he realises, right. Let's hop on the good foot and do the bad thing. Come on, girl. Exactly, yeah. Got a few fire slaps going on here. Absolutely. <laughs> It really bad. <laughs> terrible. Anyway, so they get married and he is besotted with her for the next 30 years, like properly, you know, absolutely in love with her. And they very quickly have a son, um, a child called Frederick. 
Um, and then shortly after Frederick's born, she catches smallpox and she nearly dies. And he's so devoted to her. The doctors are like, right, you can't have the new baby near you because the baby will die. Um, and King, you, or, or you know, not King, but George, uh, you shouldn't be here too because you could catch it. And he's like, stuff that. And he sits by her bedside the oh, entire time oh, that she's that's ill. romantic. I know. And he even catches um, smallpox as well. And they both survive. So yeah, he's really, really devoted to her. And you'll, you'll see this throughout their entire life. It's rather lovely. And she is very, very attracted to him as well. But she's also realising that she this is a part that she can play. So she knows that he's her, I don't know, get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. And she knows that if she marries him, he is in line for the throne. And that, you know, all of the fabulous things that come along with that, that is going to be, you know, that's her future. So for her, it's a really good move, as well as luckily being, you know, hopelessly head over heels with him. She's also like, this is, this is brilliant. I, I'm going to you know, move on from my slightly um, in unstable childhood and I've now got everything I want. So so she really, you know, puts the effort in. She cozies up to Sophia, his grandmother, and she also starts thinking about when she moves to England, being accepted. So she starts anglicising herself. And she knows that the, the appetite for the Hanoverians in England at that time is not massive. Hmm. Queen Anne is still on the throne, she is not happy that the Hanoverians are going to be taking over after she goes. And so to the point where she actually says, you can't visit England. I'm not going to allow you to visit England. So while she's alive, really? while none she of them. was on the throne, you yeah. can't come over. So they can't come over and wrecky the joint and, you know, sort of measure up for wallpaper and stuff like that. No, it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. So plus there's the, the possible threat uh, to the throne from the Catholic half-brother of Anne, James, mm-hmm. who is... Um, Bonnie. No, um, the father of Bonnie, Bonnie Prince Charlie, and he's the son of their father, James II, who they ousted. So there's all this kind of going on. So she's a little bit like, right, well, I need to kind of make myself an attractive prospect. So she starts mm-hmm. on a real sort of hearts and minds campaign. She does British things like um, she drinks tea in public. So whenever the press are around, they see her drinking tea and they're like, oh, she's, she's very English, you know. Um, <laughs> She starts supporting campaigns by prominent Brits. Um, she learns English. She starts reading political pamphlets. And then she sets out on a kind of charm offensive with anyone who's visiting, politicians, courtiers, all manner of society people. You know, if they come around, she'll have them for tea and she'll she'll kind of make friends with them. And then Sophia, um, Electress of Hanover, dies. So she, Sophia is obviously they're not going to be queen. So immediately it's Caroline's father-in-law George who is next in line to the throne mm-hmm. and so they were like okay so this is actually going to happen a bit quicker than we thought and two weeks later um Queen Anne dies so suddenly it's all kind of sped up George um the first moves over to England as does Caroline and her husband George um but George the first says right you can bring your kids but you have to leave Frederick your firstborn the seven-year-old he's seven years old at this point you've got to leave him behind because he needs to represent our Hanoverian dynasty. Gosh. Now, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And she's Charlotte, um, Caroline is devastated. She obeys him, but, you know, um, yeah, she, she's devastated to leave her son behind. And this is going to really damage her relationship with her son a little bit later. Mm. So she comes over to England um, and she finds that all of her hard work has actually gone down pretty well. She finds favour with the public. She is the first Princess of Wales for quite some time. And I wonder if you can figure out who the previous Princess of Wales had been. Can you figure out? So the Princess, princess of Wales, Wales, for those who aren't aware, uh, is the title that is given to the wife of a future king. So would it be Henrietta Maria? Nope. Would it be... Um... Anne Hyde? Nope. Would it be... Oh, gosh. Shall I put you out of your misery? Yeah, go on. The previous Princess of Wales was Catherine of Aragon. Oh, really? And not but Catherine how... of Aragon when she was married to Henry VIII. It was when she was married to his brother. To his brother, Arthur. Arthur Tudor, yeah. Interesting. Oh, okay. So over 200 years before. So they've not had a Princess of Wales for that long. Mm. And I was trying to figure out why. And I did put it to um, the guides on our guide um, Facebook page earlier. And I was told this is very, very niche. And I was like, yes, I'm very aware of this. Um, <laughs> <of course>. Anne, <laughs> Anne and Mary are not going to be Princess of Wales because they 
uh, they're not the wife of a future king. Um, James II wasn't married when he, um, uh, was he married by the time he, before he came king? Anyway, his wife didn't get it. That might've been a, a Catholic thing. Um, Charles II got married after he was crowned. I'm not sure about Charles I and James I. I'm not quite sure why they their mm. wives didn't have that because I feel like they yeah. were married before they were king. But anyway, okay. um, and then Elizabeth I, Mary I, Edward VI, um, you know, was, didn't ever got married, was too, yeah, young. was too young. Henry VIII only became king when his brother died um, and didn't marry. Yeah, so it's like, you know, that is literally Catherine of Arrogance so over 200 years. Right, of course. Yeah. Yes, because I was thinking, why wasn't it the other wives? But of course, they would have been queen straight away. Yeah, and a lot um, of it was actually also that some of them, some of those kings were second sons. So they don't, you don't take the title if you're the second son. You take the title if you're the first son. Yes. Yeah. So it's, oh, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of still questions over why, but... Wow, so to take this title for the first time in a very long time, yeah, people yeah. must have been quite excited. And also, George I comes over without a wife. So mm. there is no queen. There is no mm. kind of first lady. So she kind of takes on that proxy oh, role as well. Yes. Yeah. So she's quite, you know, this is, this is quite exciting for the public. Oh, you know, yeah. you have a yeah, fancy she's a fancy doing well, wife. isn't she? She's doing very well. She also, as Princess of Wales, she does share a birthday with St. David's Day, which of course oh. is the Welsh national holiday. So she leans into this and she's like, brilliant. So she starts supporting a few sort of different Welsh charities. She brings in maids of honour um, into her sort of entourage, which who are from Wales as well. So she plays up to all of this positive press and it stands her in really, really good stead. I like it. Now, at the same time, she's also trying to make a better relationship between her husband, George, and his father, George. Mm. Do you know much about the relationship between the two Georges there and why it was so bad? I don't know why there was such a, a friction between them. I know that there was one, but... So the reason is George I has, I guess he's been, he's made some bad choices. <laughs> um, particularly with his wife. Um, so his wife, uh, who was a lady called Sophia Dorothea of Sel, uh, they were married, they had kids, etc. And then Sophia um, Dorothea had an affair. And she decided that she, instead of staying around with her husband, she was going to try and flee with her lover. Now they'd known each other, I think, since they were kids and they just, mm. they were hopelessly in love and it had been ages and she was like, I I've got to leave. And they were pl making plans to flee and George I found out about it. Her lover was never seen again. Now, the, the rumours are that George had him murdered and buried under the floorboards of her bedroom. Oh, God. Whether or not that is true, we don't know, but he was never seen again. Mm. He then dissolved their marriage and he imprisoned her for the last 30 years of her life in her chambers. Oh. Yeah. in this On this um, little kind of castle in the middle of a lake with a moat all the way around it. He then basically said to his kids, you are not allowed to see her again. You're not even allowed to speak about her. She is essentially dead. And any mention of her at court was outlawed. They couldn't, you know, nobody was allowed to speak about her. So this is not going to do him, you know, great favours with his relationship with his son. And there are stories, now they're a bit sort of, you know, possibly apocryphal, um, but of his son, George, so whoever goes and ends up marrying Caroline, um, swimming across the moat to see his mother and being dragged back by the guards. And basically, once he'd imprisoned her mother, he never um, he never let his son or his kids see her again. Mm. So it's really, really sad. So you can imagine they haven't got the best relationship at all. Um, he then, when he comes over um, to the UK and Caroline and George keep having more kids, there's one particular time, there's one child that is born and, and the king decides that he wants a particular set of godparents for the for the prince, the new prince. And his son, George, is like, I don't like those people that you've picked. And they massively fall out. And you could argue that George I be overreacts because he imprisons both George and Caroline in St. James's Palace. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He banishes them from court. And he then also takes their kids under his control. <gasps> Yeah, I know. Just because they weren't happy about his pick for the godparents. Yeah. Wow. So he, you could possibly say he overreacts about things maybe a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just slightly. Just a bit. Um, and basically he didn't let them see their kids. And so um, a couple of occasions, George and Caroline were snuck into St. James's Palace to see their kids. And she kept fainting from the stress and the anxiety of it all. And then their son, um, the son who actually he'd 
got funny about the godparents um about um who's also called george another george super helpful um falls ill and he the king then goes okay you can come and see george and really sadly the little boy dies mm. um so you can imagine this is not you know this is not great for their relationship they they have a total of eight kids so their sex life is pretty darn good thank you very much wow yeah oh yeah and this is over 30 years now isn't it um, in well, their marriage is about thirty years in total. So um, we've come from. They moved over in. I remember when she um, when Sophia died, actually. Uh, but yeah, so it's not been over the whole thirty years yet. But yeah, the entire their sort of marriage is about thirty odd years. Mm, strong relationship. Very strong relationship. Um, so at this point, when he keeps those kids under his control um, and all the sort of things, she thinks, right, well, I've tried everything I can to make this relationship better. And I'm now going to set myself up as a pretty lively um, sort of, I guess, opposition to the throne. So she says, I'm just going to carry on with my lovely sort of, um, you know, whining and dining of everybody and my my pressing the flesh and everyone loving me. And this mm. is funny because George I is not very popular with the uh, the Brits, but George II or future George II and Caroline are very popular. And so mm. the King is again, a little bit, you know, grumpy about the fact that he is not the flavor of the month. So she essentially sets up what was re- referred to as the best nightclub in London. And there'd be people going and it would be at the most incredible. They'd have balls and at balls, she would also dance the English country dances. So this is all, you know, really playing into that. I love England thing. She does get very frustrated with the English, but she is still kind of playing the game and, and you know, being very smart about it. Yeah. And she she makes it known, now whether or not this is true that she said it, but she definitely didn't sort of stop it going around, that she said, I would sooner live on a dung heap than return to Hanover. Oh. Now, whether so, or not yes, she said maybe, it. Yeah, made sure she said it around the right people. <laughs> exactly. She was, she didn't, she sort of leaned into that. So she was like, yeah. cool, you yeah, know. And people yeah. are like, oh, this is amazing. She loves it. We love her. Yeah. And her husband trusts her so, so much that he appoints her, when he goes away, he appoints her regent on four separate occasions. So basically, okay. look, I'm going to be out of the country for a couple of months while I'm traveling. You're in control. now basically in charge and mm. she was incredibly ambitious but she hid it really well and people had her down as a very submissive wife but in reality she was very powerful and she was very well educated sounds like she wore the trousers in the relationship actually. she really did she really did and she had his ear so she would always you know if he was doing something and she just thought that's a really silly move for whatever reasons you know like you're gonna alienate yourself with the government or with the people she would be like darling really do we think maybe we just need to rethink this so she was very good at kind of brokering peace between people and just keeping him on you know on the right track and while he's off traveling or having fun or whatever she would be entertaining the brightest minds so this education that she started with um sophia way back um in uh in berlin she keeps going so she is an avid reader um she installs this enormous library at St. James's Palace and she's hanging out with everyone. So she's hanging out with um, William Kent, the artist who you know very well, don't you? Who we spoke about when you told us about Peter the Wild Boy. Yes. So he is depicted in that amazing wall mural at Hampton Court Palace, which is built in, which is um, painted in this time. Um, She's hanging out with um, Alexander Pope, uh, Jonathan Swift, who is the Anglo-Irish author who wrote Gulliver's Travels. She's hanging out quite a lot with Isaac Newton as well. Is she? And he is teaching her an awful lot about science. Mm-hmm. Um, and she re- they were really, really quite close friends. And she'd write to him quite a lot. Handel, Handel pops up a lot. She Handel seemed to be out where every flipping party, the opening of an envelope, Handel would be there. Um, <laughs> but Handel was really good friends of hers. And he dedicated his piece called Water Music to her. And one mm-hmm. of the people that she really um, gets in with is Robert Walpole. Now, what do we know about Robert Walpole? Robert Walpole was the first prime minister. Yeah, seen as pretty much the first prime minister. And one of the reasons for that... Oh, oh, goodness. There you go. See? (laughs) It's in there, it's in there. Um, (laughs) But one of the reasons Robert Walpole is... uh, Here's a hard name to say. Robert Robert Walpole. Robert Walpole. Robert Walpole. Walpole. Um, One of the reasons he's so, uh, well, I guess, powerful is that George I, who doesn't really speak English, relies on him quite a lot. And that's where he gets this sort of powerful status. And so she decides that um, 
she is going to kind of get in with him. And he took it as a very good sign that she'd taken him into his confidence as he, you know, he could see that she had a lot of power. Um, and so she was a very good person to keep her husband on a moderate path, but also Robert Walpole as well. So later on, she is very much kind of, you know, she'd say to him, I just don't overreact about that. Maybe let's just think about that. So she's got quite a lot of, mm. of ears that she is, uh, she is, you know, chatting in. And again, um, Robert Walpole is involved because he offers to broker peace between them and the king um, over all of this. And it didn't really work. And uh, Caroline's husband, George, doesn't really trust Walpole. He's like, he, he's his little snake and this, he's doing this to try and get more power, which mm -hmm. is probably right. So mm -hmm. later when George becomes king and Walpole is still prime minister, she is a very good intermediary to kind of keep them both on side and keep them working together rather than fighting. And a lot of people described George as a bit dull and a bit boring, but Caroline was very exciting and very, very intelligent. And one of the things she did was she challenged opinions of science and religion and other kind of perceived truths. So if someone would be like, well, this is the way it is, she'd be like, it's fine. And she really wanted to learn. So she, she wasn't going to go along. If someone told you something, she wouldn't necessarily think it was the truth unless she'd kind of been, it had been proved to her. She read an awful lot, but she was very, very careful not to read too much in front of her husband because <laughs> he would get his knickers in a twist. And he would say, he'd say, well, you shouldn't read so much. And he called it lettered nonsense. Oh. Yeah, so he didn't really, you know, he wasn't, in, he wasn't into a lot of the things that she was into. It was a match that probably shouldn't have worked, but really did. Maybe they didn't see each other that much, you know. <laughs> I don't know. They saw each other enough to have plenty of kids, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> they had at least eight, eight dates. Exactly. So, you know, there's some decent stuff going on there. Mm. Um, one thing I think is really interesting about Caroline is that she was up for taking risks. And she helped popularize um, a medical procedure called variolation, which is a very early form of immunization. Oh. And we're talking, you know, this is the 1700s. So this is yeah, really early. Yeah. And she was well read enough to really, she feared quack doctors and dodgy medical practices. Mm. She was very supportive of true science and medical advancements and things that have been proven with, you know, some degree of accuracy. And so with variolation, this was, you know, she found out about this and I'm not quite sure how, but she requested, she, she said, right, what I'm going to ask is that we take six convicts who are due to be executed and we give them an option. You can either go with your execution, that's fine, or you can be inoculated um, instead and sort of basically be a part of a medical experiment. What do you want? Wow, so these six I mean, convicts... Gosh, why wouldn't you? I mean, right? You're going to die anyway. You might as well take a chance. So these six convicts went, yeah, fine. And they all survived. Wow. So then they carried out further tests on six orphan children. Now, this is a bit awful because, you know, let's face it, you're just saying to people who are going to die and, and orphans, just, you know, <laughs> be our test cases. But at the same time, like, how oh. else are you going to do it? Yeah, yeah, and again, yeah. they all survived. So in the end, she, the three kids that she had with her, she had them inoculated against smallpox as well. Wow. So she even was like, I've, I've seen enough that I trust it. I'm going to do it. 300 years ago. Yeah. Goodness amazing, me. really. Yeah. And on top of this, she's also, you know, she's, she's this woman of letters, letters, woman of learning, but she's also a bit of a fashion icon. And one of the things she did an awful lot, and again, very forward thinking, she washed and cleaned herself a lot more than normal people. Um, now, she didn't necessarily wash in the same way that we do today. But she would wash her hair a lot more regularly. Um, she would brush it thoroughly and wash it in um, water that had been infused with rosemary. And she would do that about Ooh. fortnightly or sometimes even more regularly. And that was a big deal. And then her face, her hands in her, sort of, let's say, intimate areas, she washed daily. And that was like totally, you know, rare. That was nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was wow. considered medically dangerous to bathe too often or too much. So she's actually, again, she's taking a bit of a chance by the thinking of the time. There is a bit of a, a legend that says she used turpentine in her hair to oh. clean it, but that's highly unlikely. I, yeah, I prefer the rosemary. Yeah, the rosemary is all the nice. And there is a, a nursery rhyme that says, Queen Caroline, Queen Caroline, washed her hair in turpentine. Turpentine made it shine. Queen, Queen Caroline. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, we think now actually that was complete rubbish. But anyway, um, she would do the, do lots of kind of brushing of the skin and things like that. Um, 
you, you didn't really have a bath the way that we have a bath now in terms of chucking yourself fully in water. It's expensive. It's difficult to do because you've got to heat the water and then lug it all the way up to the bath. So, and it was also seen to be unsafe to bathe too much or, or in too much water. Um, but if you go to Hampton Court Palace, there is her little bathing room that you can see. And there's a, a tub that's lined with linens. And there's a little stool in it. And she'd wear a sort of thin gown. Uh, she, the, her servants, her ladies in waiting would, would bring up water, hot water, scented with orange and rose water. Um, and you'd have a little cold bath around the corner in case the, you know, the heat got too much, you'd go in there. Um, and then they would sort of leave her to it. She'd sit on the stool and kind of wash that way. So yeah, it's, she was pretty forward thinking. Well, so I wonder if, you know, her ladies in waiting eventually divulged this information. I mean, brushing her skin, such a, a thing to yeah. visualize. Like, I mean, and, a lot you know, of people did she... that. If you were, if you were, if you were washing, you know, you, you would brush the skin. Um, and you'd brush under the arms as well, which actually meant you didn't stink quite as much as you might think they would. But yeah, um, I guess it yeah. was like a soft brush. I'm just imagining her so. like a secret yeti, just like <laughs> I would infer from the neck down. Yeah, but it, you know, she must have kind of openly said, you know, oh, I wash my bits every day. Yeah, <laughs> do an interview. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, I wash, I wash every day again. What is that smell, Caroline? That's <laughs> <laughs> rose water. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's Stephen's <turpentine. laughs> Um Now, all of the time that we've been talking about her, she has not been queen yet. No, so in, she hasn't. Seventeen twenty-seven, George the First dies, and Caroline and George the Second are crowned later that year. And this is where we're talking about, you know, this now that he's king, Walpole's prime minister. She is very, very good at, at, at smoothing all of this over, and he's still smarting over. Robert Walpole trying to kind of get involved with him and his dad. And um, she's doing the whole, darling, it's fine. We've all had a drink, love, leave it, you know, that kind of thing. She convinces him to keep Walpole in his government because Walpole's actually got a very big majority. And she says, look, it's much better for you to keep him on side than it is to banish him and risk like a humiliating backlash. You don't want that. Mm. And then she would go to the king with some of the policies that Walpole put forward and be like, I think this is actually quite a good idea. And then she'd go to Walpole and say, like, don't overreact. Don't do something stupid with this and let's do that instead. So, and a lot of the public do know that she holds quite a lot of sway. There was another little rhyme that went around at the time, which was, you may strut, Dapper George, but twill all be in vain. We know tis Queen Caroline, not you that reign. Ooh, <laughs> so I bet you didn't know, know that. <laughs> and the, the conflict with, uh, well, the family conflict doesn't stop here. Um, they have a lot of conflict with their eldest son, Frederick, who's been left in Hanover, mm. which is, you know, kind of fair enough. I figure, I and mean, we're talking a lot about young princes having trauma, being separated from their families at the moment. Kind of feels like the same thing. He's seven, he's been left in Hanover and his granddad's gone, go on, hold the fort there, lad. Not gonna see your mum. He'd got into bad habits. He'd, he'd lost a lot of money gambling. He was opposed to his father's politics. And when George is going away uh, and appointing Caroline as regent, Frederick is really getting hacked off with this. And he's going, I'm the one that's due to be king. and And, you know, you're busy putting your wife in, you know, my mom in place. It should be me. On one occasion, the king was away um, traveling. He was on a ship which was caught in a storm. And the news went about everywhere that the king was lost at sea. And Caroline was obviously devastated. And she was really upset with Frederick because Frederick, rather than being upset or rallying around, hosted a dinner. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Didn't really seem to care that his dad was possibly dead. He was like, oh, cool. We'll have to dinner then, shall we? Gosh, well, and I he guess just kept in his mind, her. they left him when he was younger. So, I mean, you know, it's it's trauma, isn't it? And and he just kept needling her the whole way. And it really came to a head. And actually, they never spoke or never saw each other really again after this happened. He Frederick announces that his wife, Augusta, is pregnant. And he lies about her due date. Now, what would normally happen is at the birth of a royal baby, the senior royals are in attendance, as are the senior courtiers. And it's a way of ensuring that they're, you know, they're witnessing the birth so that you can't, nobody can say, oh, they switched a baby out. It was a girl and they wanted a boy, so they switched a boy in, or the baby died and they put in a line. You know, that all of those sort of conspiracy theories, they couldn't do that because the family and the courtiers had seen the baby be born. So he said to his mum, oh, she's due in whatever month, and she was actually due a couple of months earlier. And then... When she went into labour, he snuck her out of Hampton Court Palace, chucked her in um, a, a rickety carriage and shipped her a couple of hour, um, hours across town to get to St. James's Palace. 
so that his parents couldn't be present at the birth. And Caroline was furious about this, absolutely furious. So she raced to St. James's Palace. Um, Luckily, the birth had gone well. They'd given she'd given birth to a baby girl, and everything was fine. But she and she was very relieved. But she was very, very angry about how underhand he'd been, and it strained their relationship to the absolute well, basically breaking point. And it said there was um one of her courtiers who she saw her son walking in down a corridor or something, and she said, "Look, there he goes, that wretch, that villain. I wish the ground would open this moment and sink the monster to the lowest hole in hell." Can you so, saying that about your own son? It's not going well. And they basically don't really speak again. They don't see each other again, really. George, uh, King well, King George, by, by that point, it's like, look, he's he's a terror. Um, he's making my wife miserable. So he basically said, you're not allowed to see him. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Mm. Um, she, you know, he's, she's devastated by it. Now, the end of Queen Caroline is pretty much as spectacular as her life. Uh, her last child, Princess Louisa, is born in 1724. And after the birth, the queen um, develops a an umbilical hernia. Now, we know that she doesn't trust quack doctors and she really didn't trust invasive surgery. So she just knew that the minute they start going inside, cutting you open, that things, you know, doesn't go very well. And so she kept it a secret. She didn't tell anybody that she had this and she just dealt with, you know, the, the side effects and the pain and whatever. And about 15 years later, uh, well, maybe a bit less actually, 1737, what's that, 40, 13, 14 years? So Louisa's a, you know, early teens. Um, suddenly the umbilical hernia becomes strangulated and it requires, it requires looking at. So at this point she owns up, she says, I've got this. And they give her all these kind of, they think she's got um, colic to start with. So they give her all these cordials and stuff like that, which to help with the pain. And she just chucks them all back up again like she can't keep anything down they're giving her whiskey and for the pain and she's none of it even the whiskey's not staying down and so it's decided not really by her but by her husband and by the doctors that she needs surgery um the operation well operations are carried out without anesthetic and she is said to have been really, really brave. She she said to have not only like dealt with the pain like an absolute champion, but also joked quite a lot during the surgery. One of the surgeons had recently separated from his wife and was like trying to get a divorce. And she uh, she said to him, uh, "I reckon you'd enjoy performing this on your wife, wouldn't you? Like as a kind of you know you'd really enjoy." Oh you my know, god! Sort of well, she's in agony. She's in agony. Oh. She's still doing this. Um, one of her, one of the. There's quite an old surgeon working on her and it was late one night and he was bending over her and um, his wig caught on fire. And oh. she basically said to him, you're going to have to stop because I'm about to laugh. And she she literally just laughed um, at this. So she, she, she's dealing with it incredibly oh well and being God. very, very dignified. And basically they operated on her pretty much every day for the next few weeks. And they didn't really understand what was going on. Um, what they what a lot of the books had said is if there's a hernia you push it back in you stitch it up however one of the surgeons decided he was he knew better and he pulled the hernia out and cut it off now basically he'd cut into the bowel is what he'd done and they didn't really know what was going on they thought it was an abscess that kept leaking it's obviously not that i'm not going to go into too many details and two weeks later it burst and she she died she spent three days dying essentially yeah in just tons of pain but she's, again, still got her wits about her. She's still, you know, kind of cracking a few jokes and things like that. And as she's lying there dying, she says to her husband, look, go on, marry again. And he says, no, no, I shan't. I, I you know, I love you so much. I shall only have mistresses from here on in. <laughs> oh, how good of you. <laughs> so, I won't marry anyone else. I'll, I'll keep, you know, keep a, keep a few bits okay, on the side. You know, but... I'll, keep, I'll keep the other side of the bed warm, of course. But... <laughs> exactly. But I'm not marrying again, so there we go. Um, now, oh, the... Um, Frederick at this point knows his mother's dying and he, mm. he says, he sends a message, he says, can I see her? And George II says no. And Caroline actually goes along with that. She's like, yeah, fine. She's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to see him. But she does write a letter um, to him, which she gives to Robert Walpole to send to him um, a message, kind of like forgiveness, really, saying, mm. you know, I forgive you, whatever. But she never sees her son again. Wow. George II, we talked earlier about how much he loved her when she was sick with smallpox, how he was by her bedside. He slept on a on a you know makeshift bed by her bed by her bed during the final days of her illness. And when she died, he was apparently absolutely devastated. 
And she always believed that she was going to die on a Wednesday. She said, oh, all of my, all of the, the big things in my life have happened on a Wednesday. So I know that Wednesday is when I'm going to die. She didn't actually. She died on a Sunday. Um, her family were around. Um, she kind of said one final word. She said, pray. Her daughter started to read a prayer and then she died um, on the 1st of December, 1737. When it got to the funeral, um, she was buried at Westminster Abbey. Do you know where she's buried? Um, she's not too far away when you first enter the chapel, is she? Which chapel? St George's Chapel. Or is she at Frogmore? No, Abbey. Did I say Windsor? Oh, sorry, Westminster. Oh, no. Did I say Windsor? Windsor? I went to Windsor immediately. <laughs> sorry. No, she's buried at Westminster Abbey. Oh, she must be in the vault. She's in the vault. So she's at the very mm. back underneath the Henry VII Chapel in, I think, the most beautiful part of the Abbey. She's under there. Um, and Frederick, the Prince of Wales, um, was not invited to the funeral. In fact, he was snubbed a little bit further than that. He offered to be the chief mourner. There used to be a thing, it was um, a, a sort of pullover from the Tudor era where the, it'd be the person, it, it's, I'm not entirely sure if they would organize the funeral or just sort of be the person that made sure that mourning was happening according to plan and all that kind of thing. And um, he requested that he could be the chief mourner and he was refused and it went to his sister Amelia instead and he was not even allowed to come to the funeral as well. Yeah, really sad. the king didn't come either, um, which is apparently fairly normal practice. But there are reports that he was so devastated he just couldn't bear he it. Just couldn't, yeah. And it was, you know, she was she was mourned across um, across the country. The um, bells in loads of the different London churches rang for about four hours in the evening. Guns were fired at the Tower of London. There were flags at half mast everywhere. And Handel, her good buddy Handel, um, even composed a new anthem. Uh, it's called oh. "In the Ways of Zion Do Mourn." Um, oh. And I was listening to it earlier. I don't think, can't say it's his best piece. Okay. Um, but it's very Handelian and very sort of mournful. So I suppose that works really. So yeah, she's buried in the vault at the Abbey. And one of my favourite things about it, do you know the story about George and her, their burial? I don't think so. So George, when he was coming towards the end of his life, he left instructions that on his death, the sides of his coffin and her coffin be removed so they could be together forever. Oh, yes, I did hear that. That is very sweet. And just one last little thing, which I think is really lovely. So I mentioned that she was in with all of these important people, um, you know, knowledgeable people, scientists and all sorts. Well, Handel, who wrote that piece for her, is buried in Westminster Abbey himself, not, you know, maybe two minutes walk away from that spot, yeah. round into Poet's Corner. And Isaac Newton, her great friend, is yeah, just through the choir thinking. as well. Yeah, just so she's cool. buried there with loads and loads of these famous people that she she knew really well, and and mm. just I mean, what a fascinating life! And it just seems like her entire life was full of well, I want to say excitement because it's not necessarily all great stuff, but like it's a really eventful life. It just sounds like she had so much fun. Like even when it all went a bit tits up at the end, <laughs> you know, she's still managing to be like, "Look, mate, you need to like." leave the room because I'm going to laugh my head off if your whole head catches fire. I just, I just love this image of just this guy with a wig on fire and she's like, you are going to have to stop, she's mate, because like, I am about to wet wig myself. Off. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody what your bald head looks like. <laughs> but just amazing. Oh. I just think, you know, like we say, we don't really do royals um, just because a lot of them oh, are she's a like... Great one, though. Yeah, she really is. And there's a couple of them who are really, really interesting. Um, yeah. In terms of interesting beyond the whole inherited this did that you know she's yeah. It, it's yeah as a, as a woman who broke boundaries and just as somebody who you know life gave her a a, a hefty whack of lemons and she you know she did create a, fa a fairly tart lemonade at times but it was a lemonade nonetheless and I just think you know this this thing of my husband doesn't really want me to learn and I'm not really supposed to be learning but I'm just going to learn anyway and I'm going to you know educate myself and I'm going to believe in the right things mm. i'm going to listen to the scientists and i'm going to you know all that kind of thing just really fascinating she'd be a great one around the table wouldn't she because she'd come wouldn't in you'd be like oh look a bit of eye candy here she's probably got nothing up top <laughs> and then she'd just like she's got plenty up top mate well plenty up top <laughs> but even top you know even higher in the brain she'd just absolutely dazzle people in yeah. conversation she'd be like so have you heard about this new scientific development you'd be like what, like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, you seen anyone later tonight? <laughs> it's amazing. She's she's fab. Oh. There we go. Wow, thank you. I knew a little bit about her because um, her son kind of connects to Q quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but 
Wow, what a fascinating woman. Yeah. Gosh. She would definitely be like a poster pin-up, wouldn't she? Oh, 100%, yeah. 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 Wow, thank you. Pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. It, may, it took me back to Monarch Mondays with you and Richarding. Yeah, I don't think we never did her because she wasn't the actual queen queen. So mm. we never really did her. But yeah, mm. it's, um, it's fun doing that. Yeah. So even though we're not doing podcast pedestal really what what would you take away as one of them well you say because i think that last week i didn't let you say oh oh dear (laughs) um i mean i just i like this idea of her just kind of going i've got to get out of here i have got to go and i've got to best way of getting out of here is to marry someone and you know i just i love that she got lucky as well, she found somebody that was going to absolutely get her where she needed to be, but it, she got lucky in that she was able to fall in love with him as well at, at first sight, by the sounds of it. And I reckon that's pretty rare for women in, in her position and, and in that era. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's it's her, it's kind of her death, really, that I think is, I mean, t- terrible and awful, but also very indicative of her in life I think mm. she didn't trust these doctors she kept her illness quiet for the best part of 15 years because she was like mm. if I tell them about it they're going to kill me um, and they did and they did yeah in fact yeah. it was it was referred to at the time it said you know uh, she died by doctor wow gosh yeah. I think I mean there are so many things I really I love the romantic relationship that they have together mm. You know, him kind of staying by the side of her bed even when she had smallpox and it could kill him. Um, And the, you know, the the fact that their coffins are so close. I, yeah, I I think the relationship, I think that they aided each other really. And he just let her do whatever she wanted to do. But he was a great team. Yeah, lots of love. I mean, obviously wanting to bed other people, but, you know, we'll let yeah, that go. that's standard practice, <laughs> that's really. Just, you know, you know, 18th wasn't going to marry anyone again, and that's that's what counts. That's what counts. Um, but, yeah, that was fabulous. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure, treasure. Mm. I did the door just open. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. Sounded like a haunted door. <laughs> did, didn't it? <sighs> the Wheel of Destiny. Um, well, podcast pedestal then. No, put number not in podcast pedestal. So <laughs> no, no, no. We've done our our, uh, our little our little uh, talk on podcast pedestal. Um, so Wheel yes, of destiny. Wheel of destiny. So next week, my last week. Bloody hell! Go big Gosh. or go home, babe. Go big or go home. Well, I'm going to try and talk about something that I really love to talk about. I mean, I like talking about a lot of subjects. Sailor clowns. Oh, you got it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the Sailor Clown Revolution of the early 90s. <laughs> Sailor Clowns and Biscuits. <laughs> Let's have it. <laughs> um, no, well, I'm going to spin the wheel and see yeah. where it lands, but I'd quite like to go to some form of gallery well, why, or talk why about. Don't, don't spin the wheel then. It's your last one. Just, just Oh, my God. Are you going to let me just pick? I'm just going to let you just pick. Oh, wow. The privilege. <laughs> um... Oh, in thinking? that case. It's got to be art of some description. It's it? got to be art of some description. And I, I did a CPD a while back, a little virtual tour, which was all about what has uh, been on display in the Turbine Hall in the Tate Modern. And there's been such an eclectic range um, that I think, I, I'll, yeah. Are you happy for me to talk a little bit about the Tate Modern and yeah, then talk absolutely. about the, the different exhibitions in the Turbine Hall? Yeah, I think that sounds yeah. great. Okay, fabulous. All right, well, we'll do that then. Brilliant. Yeah. Fab. Your last oh. one. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, right, the following week you can cry all the way through that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, gills. Well, lovely listeners, that is it for this week. Um, do keep sending your emails in for M and uh, any other any other sort of um, advice or info that you, you kind of want to give if you've got ideas about where to take the podcast, what to call it. Very much in two minds about whether to keep the name or change it I just don't know um, so weigh in please come and let me know what you think and I'll uh, 
I'll, I'll see see where the mood is taking us um, mm. but otherwise send, send in lots of emails for Emily um, I'm going to see if we can make a cry on the last one that's my aim don't be mean it's the entire episode is going to be me hurling abuse at you yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> oh gosh um, yeah fabulous um, lovely okay lovely listeners have Thanks a great so week much. have a great week see you next week bye bye, bye.